Good morning. How is everyone today? <laughs> Lost an hour of sleep, spring break, rain. What a day. I'm glad that you are here. My name is Todd Stewart. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor of development. I was here for three years from 17 through 19. My wife and I then took a term and uh, moved to Zambia, Africa for a few years, and we are back. And I'm once again, starting January of this year, the pastor of development. So it's good to be back with you and to serve with you uh, in expanding the kingdom of God and making disciples of all nations. Amen. It's good to see, even though I don't see them, our Knoxville campus. I was able to spend lots of time there over the last year. Miss you guys. Hope to get back to you soon. And we begin today a new series called Hold On, Let's Go, or Let Go, Hold On, Hold On, Let Go. And this really is an interesting series as we have come out of this past series talking about relationships, family, children. And we're looking today at a story in Luke chapter 15, if you'll turn there, Luke chapter 15, a story called The Prodigal Son. And when you look at this idea of letting go or holding on or holding on and letting go, sometimes the greatest enemy of the future might be what you are holding on to from the past. And as you go through Scripture and you see experiences of particular people God used throughout Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, we really get an understanding of perhaps the definition of faith. Faith is a letting go of one thing to take hold of something else. And even starting in Genesis 12 with Abraham, what's, who is known as the father of our faith, Abraham, I, I have a promised land for you, but you've got to let go of your homeland to take hold of the promised land. Abraham gets a woman pregnant outside of God's will. And he thinks this one's going to be the promised son, Ishmael. And, and God comes to him again and says, Abraham, I, I have a promised son for you. His name's going to be Isaac. And, but I can't give you the promised son if you don't let go of this other son that you had outside of my will. You go to Jesus and the disciples and he walks up to them at their fishing business, some of them. And he says... Follow me, let go of your business, your home, and everything that's comfortable and that you know, and let, and let go of that to take hold of the kingdom of God. Even following Christ in general and becoming a Christian is a letting go, denying ourself, denying our life so we can take a hold of his life. So I hope that over this series, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to each of us because at every season of our life, there's something that we need to begin to let go of to keep moving forward and maturing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Today, we look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And this is a story about so many things. We call it the prodigal son, but it's a story about parents, about a father. It's a story about a son who went wayward. It's a story about another son who stayed home. But ultimately, in the context of chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it's a, it's a conversation that's being had by people, religious leaders, religious non-Christian people, Pharisees, Sadducees, older brother 
type legalist about who's really valuable to God. And in the midst of this conversation about who is valuable, Jesus tells three stories. Let's begin to read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. What a great reputation Jesus had. Amen? But these two verses are a sermon in itself. The tax collectors and sinners were meeting with him. Jesus begins to tell a story about three things that are lost but are very valuable to him. First, it's the shepherd loses a sheep. He has a hundred, but he loses one, and he goes after them. Sometimes people just wander away. Like a sheep who's eating grass and lifts his head one day, and he is in somebody else's pasture. Wasn't rebellious, wasn't sinning, just wandered away by not being intentional. Then he tells a story about a woman who lost a coin. She had ten coins. She lost one. She searched the house diligently. She was careless. And the lost coin to me really represents people who carelessly hurt other people. I look back over my life and I think about all the people that I have hurt. Not necessarily intentionally, just carelessly. Decisions I made, mistakes I made. Careless. And some people wander away because the church, a church leader, people, parents hurt them. And they just were carelessly cared for. And now they're gone. And then he gives the story of the lost son. All of these lost things are valuable to Jesus. That's his point. He receives. Who comes to him? Tax collectors and sinners. Now, I love this. <laughs> Luke says two categories. You see, every generation seems to have two categories of sinners. There are sinners. Yeah, I sin. But man, I'm not a tax collector. Praise God. You see, the tax collectors were hated. And most of the Jews basically just felt like, I don't want you to get saved. I want you to go to hell. We hate tax collectors. We don't feel like they can be redeemed. And so we talk about sinners and tax collectors. So you can, you can commit some sins and you'll be fine in the church. As long as you don't commit the tax collecting sins. We really have two categories, don't we? I mean, I was in a, a Bible study not too long ago, and this guy was speaking, and he was quoting out of 1 Corinthians. He was reading the verse that says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Liars, people with angry, malice, uh, slander. And then he went into... Those who commit orgies, homosexuals, gluttons, like the whole list, right? So he comes down from that, and then we get in our little groups, and we're going to be vulnerable and share some of these things that maybe 
We do. And the guy comes down. He's great. We're getting around. I just want to be honest, guys. I just want to be vulnerable. I just want to share my heart. Um, even just this past weekend on this list, I struggled with jealousy. I really did. I struggled with jealousy. And I just had to ask God to forgive me of that. Everybody around the table was like, oh, that's okay, man. We all struggle. We all sin. It's okay. So as I was watching everybody encourage this guy who committed the sin of jealousy, I started looking at the rest of the list. Orgies, homosexuality, effeminate men, this whole list. And I thought, I'm going to confess one of those. My mischievous nature began to take over. I hate that part of me. I don't like it. I don't want it. But here it was front and center. And so I said, in my mind, I'm getting ready to confess. He said he'd been struggling this weekend with jealousy. I'm just going to say, you know what? I've been struggling this weekend. I've been orgying all weekend. <laughs> and it was right on the tip of my tongue. And I thought, I'm, these people don't really know me. Uh, but, you know, there it was. I'm ready. Guys, I, I've been orgying all weekend. And I just wanted to see if everybody go, that's okay, buddy. We all sin. Jealousy, lying. I mean, how many people have ever told a lie in here? Anybody ever told a lie? How many people ever orgy? <laughs> see, we're not confessing all of them, are we? I sin, but I ain't no tax collector. It's so sad. Every generation seems to have their list of tax collectors. I call them the four aces. I just made this up. Well, you know, here we go. Abortion, adultery, addiction, alternative lifestyles. I mean, I know God can forgive everyone, but there are certain sins that you get an identity from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's an addict. Nobody ever says he's a jealousier. You know what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Like some sins get attached to you like stink. But other sins, you, you, you could tell fib every once in a while. You could be a little jealous. You could be a lover of money. You could be a glutton. There's a lot of things you can be and still be just fine in the church, maybe even a leader. But you can't be a tax collector. Jesus can't. Jesus is eating with who? Tax collectors and sinners. Sets the stage for the whole story. Luke chapter 15. Let's go to the, good, the, 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 the prodigal story. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. A Jew would never be connected to swine, to pigs, to pork. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Wow. Right. But when this son of yours, whoo, he ain't my brother. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was a tax collector. He did some bad things, but he's home. He's alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. We've got three main characters in this story, and those are my points today. The father or parents, the one known as the prodigal son, and the one known as the older brother. Let's begin with the parents. We've talked a lot about parenting over this last series, talking about what it means to be a father and a parent, especially now of children who are older, 18 to 25, maybe 18 to 30. They're beginning to become adults and they're beginning to make decisions. And we know that the father in this story represents the merciful, forgiving God who has rebellious children and celebrates in parties when they come home. But when you're living that life, it's not easy. On this earth as parents, we can struggle. We can struggle. What can we as parents learn from his handling of the situation. What do parents go through when this is happening? You've got a prodigal that goes away, and the truth is, you've got a prodigal who stays home, whose heart is bitter and jealous. What do they hold on to, and what do they need to do, and what do they need to let go of? When should they draw a line with a misbehaving teenager or a young adult? When should they show them love and grace? What is truly the loving thing to do? And how do I manage this tension? And should we help with resources or cut them off? And should they come home for holidays and be around their other siblings and influence them in a negative way? And what if they have grandchildren? Even though they're living way outside of God's will in the far country, 
I want those grandkids around me. These aren't easy questions, are they? This is a tough life. And we don't have a lot of resources for parents in this stage. I remember when my children started leaving the home to go to college or just go away. I remember thinking, where's the books? Where's the teaching? Where are the sermons? Where are the classes? Because there are always classes on how to be parents of preschoolers and how to raise teenagers. But now I'm in a different stage. And, and I felt just as ill-equipped when my children started leaving home and empty nest was coming upon me and my wife as I did when I first had children. And I guess because we get older in our 40s or maybe low 50s when this starts happening, we're just supposed to have it figured out. But it's just as difficult, especially when they begin to rebel. And it's hard to tell a 20-year-old, you're going to time out. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. So what do we do? How do we live in this? What can we learn from the Father? You know, when you, you go through this, the Father, he gave him some money. And in this culture, that was appropriate. They set it up to where the custom was two-thirds of the inheritance went to the older brother and a third of the inheritance went to the younger brother. And he went to get his third and go spend it. And he did. Now, that is a pretty good cultural system that the older brother gets two-thirds and the younger brother gets a third. Don't you agree? You got any older brothers in the room? Thank you, brother. That's a good system, isn't it? I don't know why we changed that. <laughs> so he gets his money. So what do we learn from the father? Three quick things. He had healthy boundaries. The father, parents, we have to have healthy boundaries. He didn't run after his son and try to rescue him. When all of his money ran out, he didn't start paying his rent his cell phone, his insurance on his car, gas money, utilities. He let him receive the consequences of what he was doing. That's not easy. That's not easy. Sometimes we as parents and we have a wayward child, they can only be wayward if someone's paying for it. You see, the most disagreeable child in the home or the one most likely to be in trouble a lot takes a lot of the family attention, a lot of the family energy. And sometimes too much energy and the focus on that one kid may make other kids feel neglected and like their feelings don't matter and what their needs are doesn't matter. They become placators. They don't want to cause conflict. One child is causing so much conflict in the home and creating so much hurt and energy on the parents that they just follow the line. And that may be some of you here today. You weren't the prodigal. You were the, I'm just going to do it because I don't want to bring any more negativity to the home. I don't want my parents to have any. So you just die to yourself. And you grow up, you don't know what you need. You don't know what you want. You don't want to do anything to cause a conflict. You're not good at relationships because you can't be honest because you're afraid it might rub somebody wrong because you just became agreeable in every situation. 
You see, we need our children to experience the consequences of their poor choices. But what level? I mean, we live in an overprotective society. There's no question about that. And our children need to take some risk and they need to fail and they need to fall down and we need to let them figure out how to get up appropriately based on which stage they are. Some children today cannot handle disappointment because they've never had very much. So what's the level as parents that we let them fail, we let them fall down, we let the consequences of their poor choices touch them but we're there and we love them. It's not easy. And there's no real manual because every child is different. One thing we know is we can't sweep in and clean everything up all the time. We can't be the assistant Holy Spirit in their life. We have a Holy Spirit. He's doing a good job. Parents. Healthy boundaries. Number two, the father hoped and prayed. He really prayed. You say, how do you know he prayed and hoped? Because when the son finally came home, the Bible says the, son, the father saw the son way far off. And it ran to him. And I thought, I think that father's on the front porch every day looking down the path, looking down the road to see if his son was going home. And as he looked coming home and as he looked down that path, I think he was praying. And I think we know what to pray because we see it in the story. The, 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 the prodigal came to his what? Senses. He came to his senses. Oh, dear God, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit, let him, let her come to their senses. Oh, Lord, they're not listening to me right now. I beg you to bring someone in their life who they'll listen to, who will speak truth to them. Those are my prayers. Of course, he hoped and prayed. People do not change because you tell them to. They change because the Holy Spirit does something new in their heart. And then thirdly, I think we see the father. He did not find his identity in his son. Now I want to spend just a moment right here because this is where a lot of parents struggle. I know I did. While the father was thinking about the son and praying, he kept living his life. His identity was not determined by his children's actions. He had another son to care for. He had a household to care for. He had a job. This idea has become a real issue in our day as we have become a child-focused society and their activities dominate our families and our schedule. And I have to be real careful here as I was preparing for this because I wanted to go into when I was a kid. So I'm going to resist that. But I'm going to give you just one. I'm trying to think of the times that my dad asked me what I thought about something. Or how I felt about it. Hello, can I get a witness? Yeah, we got some. He didn't care what I thought. If he decided we were going out to eat, which was never... He announced where we were going. He didn't ask. And if anybody would have suggested something after he announced it, we'd be going home eating bologna. 
Can I get a witness? Yeah, we got some. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm. Dad, I like to play basketball this season. Let me and your mom check the calendar. See, that's going to work out for us. What? That seems so foreign, doesn't it? So what do we do today when we've created this new thing? I mean, ultimately, we want, right? We probably want to do for our children what our parents didn't do for us. This is tough. But as parents, we need to learn the difference between love and codependency. Without giving a whole lesson on codependency, I'll give you one sentence. Codependency is when you need someone else to behave a certain way so that you feel good about you. And I'm wondering if we struggle with that as children and parents today. We give hugs and we say I love yous. And it should be right for the children because they need that affirmation and encouragement. But for parents, do we need it? Do we need the hugs and I love yous because there's a hole inside of us and we're asking these children to fill that hole? Then the relation gets wonky. Because if you need them, you can't lead them. And if you need them, you might not put the necessary guardrails or the disciplinary action that you need to put around them because you need their approval and their friendship. And they might not be able to discipline appropriately because of that need for approval and attention and wanting them to think that you are a good mom or dad. If you need them to look pretty, be athletic, get good grades, perform well, be popular because somehow that makes you feel important or good as a parent then image becomes an altar that your family bows down to. And if that is important to you, it might lead you to gravitate towards certain children that make you feel good and not so connected to the children that make you feel bad about your parenting. It's not easy. It's not a healthy boundary if your feelings of worth or fulfillment rides upon the actions or behaviors of a child, even if that child is a teenager or a young adult. How many times I remember my children, one day they'd come home, I got an A, I obeyed, I was complimented by the teacher or the coach, and I look in the mirror and go, I'm the best parent in the world. And then the next day, they get a D on the test. They lie to me. They weren't where they were supposed to be. I'm back in the mirror. I'm the worst parent in the world. I'm a failure as a parent. Anybody ever thought those things? You see, children, young boys, young girls, even young adults, they don't have a brain. Until scientists are saying girls get it earlier. We all don't have any problem with that. Between somewhere 23 and 25. And the boys don't have a fully developed brain with all things firing until now they're saying they pushed it back a bit. They're saying it's around 27, 28. So we're letting children 
And people who don't have a brain make decisions. Think about it. It's not easy, is it? So let me ask you a question. Whether you're in this place, folks, our identity does not need to be in our children. Our identity needs to remain in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. So you say, I don't know where I am. This is tough. Well, let me ask you this question. Would you have been allowed to leave your son or your daughter in the pig pen like the father in the story was? Maybe I should ask it a different way. How long would you be able to leave your child in a pig pen before mama has to, how you doing? How things going? Not good, mom. I'm living in a pig pen. <laughs> Hoping the pigs don't eat all their food. But you know this thing about pigs? They tend to eat all their food. Can I send you a little? Oh, here we go, right? This is not easy. This is not easy. Don't let your success and failure change or ride upon your children. You'll, 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 you'll be on a roller coaster your whole life. And that's so easy to say and it's so difficult because there they are and I love them. But I got to die. I got to let that thing go. Let go of that thing that crosses the line into codependency and my need for them to do well. And how do I love and how do I set that healthy boundary? It's not easy. It's not easy. But God does it well. Next, let's go to the prodigal. Now, we may not have many prodigals here today because prodigals don't typically go to church every Sunday, <laughs> right? I mean, but there may be some here. But even if you're not a prodigal, I want to speak to some of you because I really believe today as I was praying, this just kept overwhelming me in my heart and mind. Some of you are on the verge of becoming a prodigal. You've been testing the far country with a toe, with a foot, with a leg. You've been dabbling. You've been visiting the far country. You haven't gone all the way. And so even as we talk about prodigals today, I think some of you are here to come to your senses before you go too far. You see, the far country is that person, that place, that experience that makes you feel like it would be better if you were there. Life would be better if I did that. Life would be better if I was with that person. I want to go to the far country where it's all fun. It's easier. I'll be able to breathe again. That is called, my friends, in the English world, an illusion. An illusion. An illusion is a perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. And there it is. I don't know why this young boy left, but I'm guessing he did have some guardrails. He had some chores he had to do. Maybe he thought the rules were too tough at home. And so he looked at the actual nature 
the actual nature of what was going on in his life, but he had a misinterpretation of what that was. I remember my uncle telling me the story when he was young. He said he was tired of the rules. He was tired of the guardrails. He was tired of being told what to do. So he was going to the Marines. <laughs> what? Do we have any Marines in here? We got any Marines? Brother, do they have any rules in the Marines? You see, he probably had, my uncle had some boundaries. He had some rules and some guardrails by mom and dad. But he had a misinterpretation of the actual nature. He found out what rules were pretty quick. And this is why people leave. This is why we go wayward. This is why we go prodigal, because we're looking at something, and there may be some things real. I don't know what was going on in his life. Maybe the older brother was picking on him. Maybe there were too many rules. Maybe it was his church. Maybe he was tired of doing the God thing. Maybe there was pain. Maybe there was abuse. There could have been a lot of things going on. I don't know. But he just felt suffocated. He wanted to make his own laws. He wanted to spread his wings and be an adult. Go, got to be me. You do you, you be you, live my truth. I just got to get out of here. And there may be some real reasons that you left church or that you left your mom and dad's rules. There, there, there could be all kinds of things, pain that you've gone through. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing any of those things. But don't misinterpret what's going on. You see, the rest of that is, an illusion is the state or fact of being intellectually, say it with me, deceived or misled. How many times do our children get misled? You know why they're being misled? They're misinterpreting their life events and they're deceived. That's the biblical world, deception. They're in deception. They're being deceived. You can't yell at a deceived person back into obedience. You can't pick at them. You can't do anything. This is a spiritual thing. They have to come to their senses, and that happens through the Holy Spirit. The youngest brother just had to have some fun, perhaps. I just got to have some fun. My friends are doing this. I want to go. And he did. He had some fun. And when I was a student, I remember one thing about this prodigal I always admire is he was only a prodigal once. Some of us have been prodigals multiple times. Can I hear anybody want to volunteer that? <laughs> no, of course not. But he had to get out of there. Now, as he's leaving, there's this thing that happens. And when I was a student, I remember my student pastor telling us about this worldly fun that's out here. And I remember the sermons. It looks like fun, but it's, it's not fun. Really, because it looks like fun. Like everybody I'm going to school with, when they come from the weekend, they talk about how much fun they had. And I talk about how lonely I was and miserable because all the people I knew were out having fun. 
And I learned something, and my student pastor was wrong. Now I know that. I wish I could call him up. But maybe he'll listen to this. But he missed something. It's not that that worldly stuff is not fun. It's fun. And this is where he missed it. And I don't want to miss it for you today. There may be a season of fun. But worldly fun always has an expiration date. Worldly fun always has an expiration date. It has consequences. And his expiration date came up in verses 14 through 17. All his money was gone. The people were gone. And here he is getting a job feeding pigs for a Jewish boy. He violated everything culturally, socially, family, spiritually. He did it all wrong. But he was having fun. Now, this is a little corny, but I'm a dad, so I have a lot of corny jokes and a lot of corny things that I think about. Fun. Follow you now. You don't like what your parents are doing? You don't like what the church Life and Jesus and the Bible and this whole spiritual thing. You don't like it? Follow you now. See where that goes. I'll have some fun. You might have some fun. You really might have some fun in a worldly kind of sense. It might seem appealing. It might be fulfilling. The person you're with might make you feel better. But I want you to know this kind of fun, it has an expiration date. It has an expiration date. You see, God has given us some things. He's given every person some graces, lost or saved. We call them common grace. When the sun shines, the sun doesn't just shine on Christian people. It shines on what? All people. When it rains, it's not just corn that Christian corn grows, but lost corn grows too. Huh? You have electricity. We have clean water. There are things that are called common grace. And one of the great common graces for all people on the planet, not just those who follow Christ, is a thing called free will. You see, God gives you the sacred gift. And this is sacred, which means what? It comes from a transcendent God. It comes from our creator God. God has given you a sacred gift of the prerogative of choice. The prerogative of choice. You can choose anything you want. You can disobey your parents. You're free to do that. You can marry the person that everyone's telling you not to marry. You could leave the person that everyone's telling you not to leave. You can go to the way Far country like this guy, drinking, partying, gambling, sleeping with women. He spent it all. You can do it. You have been given a great gift by God. But here's what you haven't been given. God does not give you and me the privilege of determining a different outcome of what that choice entails. Let that sink in just a minute. 
God does not give you the privilege of determining a different outcome of what that choice entails. You want to be a rebel? The consequences are going to be rebel consequences. You want to walk out on your family? Do not think that there will not be consequences and that your life will be better and live in the illusion that something's going to be better. This is not easy. This is not easy. But it's true. doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. The fun ends. Fun has an expiration date. What will you do with this gift of this sacred gift of your prerogative of choice? Because your choice, this illusion comes when we think we can make a choice and it's going to be fine. It's just fine. It'll be fine. Maybe for a season. It might be better for a season, but this season has an expiration date. It has an expiration date. And his came up in verses 14 through 16 when he hit rock bottom. This is the story of Cinderella, right? Cinderella. You can live as a princess, but there's an expiration date. The clock does strike 12. And the royal carriage turns into a pumpkin. And the royal horses, the royal steeds become mice. There's an expiration date. And he had his. He came to his senses. The illusion was busted. My misinterpretation is gone. My father servants have a better life than I have. Boom. The illusion was busted. Real life became real. My parents don't hate me. They love me. Now doing what I want, when I want, with who I want, where I want, it's not working anymore. It's not working. The consequences are too high of a price. And here it is. The consequences are bound to the choice. The consequences are bound to the choice. And this is where we're seeing a lot of young people today and perhaps middle-aged people should I stay or should I go? The consequence is tied to the choice. We can't forget that. You see, there's a big truth, and we all know it if you've been around very long. Life is hard. Can I get an amen? It's hard. The Christian life is hard. It's all hard. Don't get any illusion from prosperity gospel that if you follow Jesus, it's going to be easy. No, it's hard. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. This life is hard. But in the midst of this, we get to choose our hard. You get to choose which hard that you want to go down. I mean, for this prodigal, going back to the father with his tail between his legs, head down, no longer be worthy to call a son. I should just be a servant. Admit that he's wrong. Oh, swallow his pride. That's going to be hard. 
It's going to be hard. Staying in the pig pen is going to be hard. Choose your hard. Choose your hard. You don't want to obey your parents. You don't want to follow God. You don't want to stay in church. You can't wait to get out to college or someplace else where you can spread your wings and fly. You've got that choice. It's going to be hard. You want to spread your wings and have fun, follow you now? That's going to be hard. Following Jesus is going to be hard. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. You're in a loveless marriage. All the things we talked about last month in the last series, find each other's needs, meet those needs. My husband doesn't give a lick about my needs. My wife doesn't even think to ask me what my needs are. Staying with her, staying with him, that would be hard. Leaving him or her and leaving those two to three children you have, that'll be hard too. Choose your heart. Amputating that relationship, that inappropriate relationship that you have at work or in the community or an old friend from high school you've reconnected with. Perhaps that relationship's the only thing that's making you feel alive right now. The only thing that's giving you any joy. Amputating it would be hard. It would be hard. Your spouse finding out in the chaos that that would create, that'll be hard too. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. We could do this all day, right? Giving up that habit, giving up that drug, giving up that desire, giving up that alcohol, it will be hard. Giving up that food, <laughs> it will be hard. You continue going down that path, it will be hard too. Choose your heart. Forgiving that person for what they did to you, that'd just be too hard. That'll be hard. Living the rest of your life with resentment and bitterness, that'll be hard too. Choose your heart. Obeying God and surrendering your life to him will be hard. Loving the world and living with you as God, determining what is right and wrong, that will be hard too. Choose your heart. You see, God has given you the sacred prerogative of choice. Choose it. Choose which hard path you want to take. They're both hard. But one is God's path, and there is something at the end of that tunnel. There is help on that journey, and there is healing and peace on that journey. The other one is hard, and it gets harder, and it never ends. Until you come home. You don't, get the you don't get the privilege of determining the outcome. If you go out this building and you jump on top of the roof, you get on the roof and you jump off this building, you can choose that. God has given you a sacred gift of choice. But you do not get to determine how you're going to hit. You will die or be greatly and severely injured. 
Some of you are on a path. You chose it. And it's about to get hard. So for the prodigals who are listening online, for the prodigals who are in this room, come to your senses. You've been misinterpreting the actual events of your life. The promise that you have. And it's deceived you. It's brought deception upon you. And until you come to your senses, you won't come off that path. And it will get harder and harder and worse and worse. And more people will get hurt, including yourself. Some of you have a foot in the world. You have a foot in the far country. You're dabbling and you think it would be better. I'm telling you, this, was, this is God coming to your way today. This is the Holy Spirit whispering and saying, don't do it. It's a deception. It's a misinterpretation of the actual objective things that are going on in your life. But what you're trying, the way you're going to interpret that and the way you're going to move in these next decisions are destructive. Don't do it. Come home. Come home now. Whether you're the son that's already gone, come home. Whether you're the son that stayed at home, but your heart is far away. He's also a prodigal. Come home. What do you need to let go of, prodigal? What do you need to take hold of? Lastly, the older brother. Wow. Let me just give you a warning right now for you who want to come home. And you know, it's just as going to be just as difficult as the prodigal tail between his legs swallowing his pride but you need to come home it's not easy to be broken it's not easy to allow the Holy Spirit to just bring you to your senses but I want to give you a warning there's almost always an older brother who is there to say we shouldn't let you back I mean I, I know I'm a sinner but I'm not a tax collector. You're a tax collector. I suppose God can forgive tax collectors, but I can't. You had an abortion, adultery. Here, here are my tax collectors for today. Abortion, adultery, addiction, alternative lifestyle. God forgives them, brings them back. Can we welcome them home? These few sins that somehow get labeled to us. Can you come back home? There's going to be an older brother to remind you. I'm, not, I'm just telling you the truth today. You all have lived in the world long enough, right? Life is hard and you're going to come and you're going to fall on your face before Jesus. And there are going to be people who say, I don't know why we let them back. There's going to be brothers and sisters. Why do we let them back home? They've taken all the energy and destroyed our family. Why should I let them back? Because God is gracious. The Father welcomes us all home. And what we see from the coin to the sheep to the son, when they get found, when the son comes home, God throws a what? A party, a celebration. So while the older brothers, the religious elites, the Pharisees and Sadducees in our life 
While they're criticizing us, heaven is throwing a party. Hallelujah. Amen. Stay focused on heaven. Stay focused on Jesus. Because the first two verses in this story, in chapter 15, verse 2, the Pharisees, even though they use it as a criticism, this is the truth. This man, this man, he receives sinners and tax collectors. And what's the answer to their criticism? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. All sinners and tax collectors, you're welcome in his house. You're welcome in his house. It costs. Repentance costs. Coming to your senses, let's be honest, it costs. But he receives them. So what do you need to let go of today? What do you need to come home to, to take hold of? Parents, I don't know where you are, what boundaries you need to set. How do you give some space between some of your wayward sons and daughters? It's not easy to love and do healthy boundaries. It's not easy. What do you need to let go of and what do you need to hold on to? Prodigals, we know. What do you need to let go of and hold on to? Potential prodigals with a foot out the door. Older brothers, we know. How do you let go of your attitude? The lack of graciousness. Forgetting that you too was, were in desperate need of the Father's grace and mercy. Even though you didn't do that. Even though you weren't a tax collector. You were just a sinner. Ha! Your sin put Jesus on the cross just like the prodigals did. Some say, I don't have much of a testimony. Are you kidding me? The sin nature you were born with hung our Savior on the cross. What do you mean you don't have a, te you don't have a testimony? The Father's waiting for you to come home. He's on the front porch and he's looking out. Every day praying that you come to your senses. Let's pray. Father, we love you and bless you. We thank you, Lord, for touching us and healing us. And we thank you, Lord, for the parents who have to walk in this and how difficult it is. Lord, help them. Give them wisdom. Lord, I pray. I pray for the prodigals. I pray that in this moment, whether they're watching online, at home, in a hotel, driving in a car, Lord, that they would come home. Sitting in this room, Lord, let them come home. Let them come to their senses with the power of the Holy Spirit. Please convict them and awaken their hearts. Break the deception and illusion that they're living in. And Lord, for the older brothers, we pray that they would lose their judgmental, critical spirits, welcoming all who will come home and join the party that heaven is throwing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment 
And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.